Hello. Welcome to Therapy Talks. I'm Chris Place and I'm a psychotherapist. In this podcast series, I'll be chatting with different people about their experiences, their lives, their loves, their challenges, and what helps them find their way forward in the world. We'll also chat to different therapists and researchers about the models of therapy that they use to get a better understanding of these different approaches and how these different approaches might be useful at different times for different people. Hopefully it'll be lots of human connection and conversation about the challenges we have and also about what helps us get through. I hope it's going to be fun, enjoyable, entertaining, engaging, informative. Anyway, let's go on the journey. Hello everyone. Just a quick note before we begin the podcast. Uh, We do discuss issues around sexual violence. So uh, people may not want to listen or if you do listen and are impacted in any way, uh, I will leave uh, information of support services in the in the podcast notes um you're also welcome to reach out to me on my email uh therapy talks with chris at gmail.com and i'll certainly in in the west of ireland be able to refer you to suitable services um and obviously in other parts of the world where people are listening uh, if you are impacted please do uh talk to somebody and thank you hello everyone welcome back to another episode of therapy talks uh delighted to be here and even more delighted to have my next guest. Uh, my next guest, Madeline Black, um, the Courage Cultivator. Um, she's a therapist, uh, a speaker, a writer, um, and I guess an activist. And we're going to have a chat. I mean, we we came across each other on LinkedIn, made connections, yeah. and uh, I bravely maybe or not said would you like to be on my podcast and she so kindly said yes so Madeline thanks so much for being here oh you're welcome Christopher it's lovely to be here with you that's great um I should say Christopher is fine or Chris um Chris I get I get it I usually Christopher when my wife is like Chris I was gonna say is that your your Sunday name (laughs) yeah yeah. but no it's, it's brilliant to have you and to have you here on the podcast and talking to us here in Ireland um you're based you're based up in Glasgow I am yes yeah and I I yeah I I I suppose for people who don't know you're you're I suppose you're I mean to start would be to say that you 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 went public a number of years ago Mm -hmm. about an awful event that happened to you when you were only 13 years old when you were when you were gang raped and you had the the courage. I mean, it literally that 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 name, courage cultivator. You know, you had the courage to speak out and share your story. Yeah, but not initially. No. It, it took me many many decades. It took me a long time to find my voice. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think I think as a therapist who I work with people who've been abused, and a huge part of it is helping people find their voice. You know. Yes. Um. And that's just within the therapy session, really, isn't it? That's only with absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes that's. That's part the first part, and then it's how do I take that piece and bring it out mm. to the outer world? Like, because yes, I always feel like that's the the testing ground in in the yeah. session. You know, what they can practice with us, and then they can practice out in the real world or within their life. And and the thing is, and I I saw you on the BBC. Uh, I suppose with I I saw it on your LinkedIn, but in therapy, in a session where somebody's you know, their training is to be empathic and kind and non-judgmental. That can be an easier place to have a practice. 
But when we bring it out into the world, we don't always get met with that same kindness and understanding always. You know, I actually have to say I've been very lucky in the, I don't know how many years now I've been speaking, I think 2014, I first shared my story. I've hardly been trolled or had negative comments. The odd few on Amazon, but, you know, out of 700, there's always going to be one or two stars. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have an amazing army because, sadly, my story isn't uncommon. Yeah. My story is the story of many, many people. And if I do get any negativity, they just jump in to defend me because I think it's maybe their story as well. Yeah. I mean, I think, you're well, certainly from my experiences um, living in Ireland and a lot of Irish people I've known, people can share there's a shared understanding yeah. I think there's something about the silence and the secrecy that people that is often more I don't want to say more damaging the event itself but the silence and the secrecy seems to be Absolutely. a further traumatization or re-traumatization it, it was interesting one of the very first places I spoke at was in a girls catholic school in Ireland in Cork one of my friends was a teacher and she knew my story said can I come to her class yeah. you know to speak and they got a few different classes together. So there was about 140 girls crammed into this class for just 30, 40. Mm-hmm. And just before I went in, because my story has an element of forgiveness. Now, can you talk about the forgiveness part, but not about the rape part? And I said, come on, Mary, do you really think that none of these girls know about rape, had had dick photos sent to them, know about abuse, know about mm-hmm. flashing, know about upskirting and last minute they decided yes that they would allow me to tell my whole story so it's interesting about 10-15 minutes before the end the teachers left the classroom and the questions the girls asked me they had no pressure of any teacher there listening they were amazing and privately they then sent me messages of their own stories as well which is often what happens as well because I believe that that courage is contagious you know if I can stand up there and share my story it gives them permission to find their voice too so I thought it was very interesting in Ireland, you know, mention forgiveness, but we can't speak about any sexual violence. So forgiveness is a funny one, isn't it? I mean, it can be very powerful yes. and very important, but there's this idea that let's forgive without going through a process first. Because I always think for me, forgiveness can be important for people and it isn't always yeah. important. But what's really important is that I have a place to tell my story. That that yeah. I, because forgiveness almost sometimes, it, certainly in a Christian sense or whatever your belief system is, seems to almost skip something about like... Yes, it's never forced on anyone. And I, I used to call myself an accidental forgiver because I was I was never, ever going to forgive them because I hated them and I was just filled, you know, with all that anger and rage and plotted all these awful fantasies. So my head was in a very dark space. But for me, it was about letting go. Yeah. Once I had healed, and I did a lot, a I lot think, of I therapy, think not just talking therapy. That forgiveness has a huge powerful thing to let it go for you so that you can yes. move on in the world. It's not yes. about... Oh, I would never forgive the act of rape. No, it's a no, it's violation it. which affected me for years. But yeah, it was about it was about acceptance that I can't change what's happened. It's done. And what I was you know, going to therapy with was essentially pictures and memories of the past. It wasn't happening anymore. And it was over. And I had understanding, you know, as well, that um, they were corrupted. Whatever had happened to them, I don't think they were born on this planet to be rapists. You know, you look at little babies and they're all just innocent. And I I suppose as a therapist, you know, I suppose I, you know, when I look at the nature, nurture or whatever, I suppose mm-hmm. I tend to come down on the side of nurture and that, you know, there's potential in every human being. And then 
Yes. He's horrible. Exactly. Carl Rogers is a famous psychologist would say, you know, I've seen people do the most heinous crimes, but when you when you bring in non-judgment and love, healing can happen, you know, and change can happen. And yeah. um, I, I suppose that's the thing. You, you, what I was thinking about was, I've, I've been thinking about, you know, you you would go to a lot of different events telling your story. And it feels to me that you can do that because of the fig- because you've been able to let it go in some way. Yeah, you know, I would never want to stand on a stage and traumatize my audience. <laughs> and I don't Self, think I could in- do I don't think I could share my story in a very not disconnected, but in a way that it doesn't re-traumatize me. I don't yeah. get triggered. I couldn't do that if I wasn't healed. Yeah. And so I want to share my story, you know, to break down the shame and the silence we spoke about, the stigma, but also to show people. Whatever your trauma, you can work your way through it. You can walk through it and you can have a great life. You, there is life after trauma, after rape, after abuse. You know, you really can heal. And, and as a young teenager, I, I could never have imagined what, I, what I'm doing now. But, you know, never imagined I would heal from the dark spaces that I found so myself before in. Before you were 13, what was your life like? Just normal. Well, I suppose normal kind of life. I'm one of five. Um, my dad was a Holocaust survivor. He didn't have any family left. My mum had um, a back operation when she was younger, which went wrong. So she was bedridden for a couple of years. So it was around the time that that was happening. Okay. So I guess maybe you know a friend asked me to go on a night out. Maybe I was seeking a bit of excitement away from what was happening at home. I don't the know. Sort of challenges of home life or whatever for the different. Yeah. You know, dad had obviously through his own horrific trauma. Your mom was dealing with stuff. And then you go out on a, as an, an innocent 13 year old. You know, I just did what most people do. I just lied about where I was staying and yeah. I went out and had a bit of fun. I drank for the first time. And, you know, obviously just went disastrously wrong. Most people would just wake up with a headache and get to school and that would be it. But uh, yeah, it wasn't to be for me. I mean, I just think about it. I think about my own, certainly my own forays into alcohol <laughs> consumption at 12, 13 or whatever it was. And, you know, you, you go out, you you drink a bit, you might, you, you know, you you kind of get sick and, yeah. oh, that was awful. And then live your life. Um, yeah. That didn't happen to you. It didn't, no. Mm-hmm. So and it was on a night out then, this only time, this night out that when you were attacked? Yeah, I was with a friend and her mum was away and we both lied about where we were staying. She was, we both meant to be staying at her grandma yeah. and she told her grandma she was at my house and I told my mum I was at her grandma's, but we went back to her mum's empty flat. We bought vodka, which I've never ever drunk or even smelt again. It makes me very ill, the thought of it. And obviously it didn't take long for me to get drunk. I'm just a little 13 year old skinny girl, never drunk. Yeah. And threw up everywhere in this cafe. And then two of the young guys on the, our table put me in a taxi and they took us back to her mum's empty flat and it became quite clear really what they were there to do. They weren't there to let me sleep off the alcohol, put me to bed, you know, they obviously were there for something else. Whether it was just an opportune moment or it was planned, I I have no idea, but just wrong place, wrong time. I know now it was nothing to do with me, which I didn't know for a long time. So for a long time, you kind of blamed yourself in some way or absolutely because i mean this was the late 1970s there was no social media but already i thought well i'd been drinking i had lied i met boys you know what did i expect it was my fault and already i think gosh there was no social media how did i already um just absorb all these victim blaming messages but that's what i did and it's i think I've tried to understand why even without social media it's such an intimate crime Mm -hmm. and it's just 
exasperated by all the victim blaming and the rape culture and the misogyny and like oh, of course if you got drunk and went to an empty flat you're asking for it and and i believe that as well but it isn't that the thing and isn't that the prevent and i remember i mean i've heard this so many times people saying well like what do they expect if they're going to go out dressed like that or if they're going yeah. to do this and it's like hopefully just a headache you know that's exactly. it and, and, and <laughs> sure that argument doesn't stand because you know it's what where babies are raped women that wear burqas are raped Absolutely. men are raped it's it wasn't their clothing that caused it. No, it's the, the rapist is what caused the rape, you know. Absolutely. Women, wives are raped, you know, at home, Absolutely. married to their husbands. It's like, and I suppose that's the thing is, you know, if I go down and I, if I leave here and I'm cycling home and somebody jumps me at the side of the road and steals my wallet, is it my fault for cycling home? Of course not. Nobody's ever going to think that. Um, but we suddenly, I, I, we have to, there certainly for so long has been this victim blaming culture that has silenced people and yeah. something that you have said about I was watching in your TED talk and you quoted Brené Brown and there was the idea of shame you know because shame loves the client it loves the silence it loves the darkness it loves the shadows and yeah. you, it thrives in all those right when you shine a light at shame it's like ah it's you know it, it, it it's 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 like garlic to a vampire it doesn't like yeah. it you know <laughs> Um, so I, I suppose that's what I, I was struck with. So you had this awful experience, just beyond imaginable experience that you had to endure. Mm -hmm. And then do you tell anyone? Uh, not at the time, because one of the very last things they did was threaten me with a knife that they had used on me. I had been stabbed and they said, stabbed. if I tell anyone... Yeah, if, they, if I tell anyone, then they will find me and they will come and get me and kill me. And, you know, I, I thought he was quite convincing. <laughs> I believed him at the time. And I, I'm laughing, but I'm, I'm not saying it lightly. Obviously, I was in a real space of fear for years. I used to look over my shoulder, worried that I'd seen them, imagined the back of people that was them and changed my route completely. You know, I couldn't go on a bus past the school that they went to or avoid certain areas. Uh, and someone in my class lived next door to one of them as well. So, uh, yeah, it was tough. But eventually, about 16, I couldn't actually verbally spit it out, but I wrote it down. I left a little note on my pillow for my parents. And when they then called my friend who was involved, she said that it hadn't happened like I said it had. So even then I felt betrayed by her and disbelieved, which is a normal thing that happens when people do finally get the courage to tell they felt that they weren't believed. And that's just more trauma upon trauma, really. And so did anything at, when your parents read that, that, was that it then, that they had listened to your friend or did they? Well, my, my dad wanted to go to police. My mum was really quiet and it took me, you know, a long time to understand, mm -hmm. to cut a long story short. She was raped when she was eight years old by her friend's dad one of her neighbors and my granny would send her to play with her friend and every time he would abuse my mum so she was really really quiet in the telling when I'm telling my parents and it was only after my dad passed away and they were married nearly 40 years five kids he never knew that she told me her story as well because I was beginning to speak out a bit and she started to tell me and she gave me permission to write her story in my book as well but yeah she her trauma silenced her in that moment but I misunderstood it and I thought oh my mum doesn't believe me look how quiet she is and but she didn't want me to go to the police to be examined obviously yeah. three years later that wouldn't have happened but in her head she was that little eight-year-old girl yeah. again she was living out her own trauma that 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 she wasn't seen and met and supported and 
Yeah. So it was it was almost perpetuating or something in some way. That what for you was like rejection wasn't where she was coming from. Yeah. I thought she doesn't believe me. And my dad wanted to go to police and I was I was terrified. And they were sons of diplomats, so they would have lived in London maybe a couple of years and they would have been back in America by then. So the people who did it. They had gone. Yeah. They had gone back. Yeah. So we had, they were no longer in this jurisdiction. So it... they weren't in London anymore. It doesn't stop me still being scared of them. But uh, I don't know yeah, if you understand it's that living in London anymore. It's just like to think about. You know, I work a lot with trauma and with the impacts of trauma, and mm-hmm. you know, it's like your nervous system is in overdrive, in freeze, yep. fight, fight. It's just relentless a lot of the time, and. And 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 it's, but you you had that for years on your own. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and um, you know, it was only actually interestingly, I was a volunteer at rape crisis, and we were learning about the impact of rape and what it can do. And I saw all the points on the board. I went, ah, oh, tick, tick, yeah. tick. And it was literally everyone, I think, apart from self harm, because I was paranoid about knives. I had done everything you on that list. You, you and were like, oh my god. <gasps> I went, I've got PTSD, I've had that for years. No wonder I jump at every sound or have to put the buttons down in my car or cry easily or paranoid or don't trust men or, so you know, try to be in control all the time. Eating disorders, used to do drugs and alcohol, suicide attempts. You had, all, you had been through all of those experiences. You had... All of that I did. Depression for years. And I was like, oh, no, that makes sense. <laughs> that wasn't me. That was my trauma speaking to me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's amazing and talking to you now you know it it is like it, it is that thing of hope isn't it like that 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 the that we can survive horrendous ordeals but we do need something like we, we, we yeah we can't do it on our own necessarily oh i would never have done it without all the support and i did a lot of talking therapies and i did a lot of um kind of therapeutic body therapies as well because i realized that yeah. when my memories returned my eldest daughter was 13 surprise surprise they're always going to oh, come God, back I mean, so it's kind of you kind of thinking oh, of course but at the time it's like, oh. <laughs> and i'm studying psychotherapy at the time oh, you know dear. of course so it's you, going to come back you were just... it's just like a boil waiting to explode mm-hmm. really, isn't it but um i was caught in denial i just thought oh, you know i've worked at women aid I worked at rape worked at rape crisis I just thought I had ingested all these other women's stories and honestly if it was really that bad I would remember it you know but now I understand how powerful our brain is it's not always our friend yes at the time it, it shut me down it numbed me out literally I didn't speak for about three years so that I wouldn't remember it, and so I could push it far away and get on with my life Did you but then forget about it for a long time I don't think I forget, forgot, I just didn't want to remember. Yeah, so, so it's, it's a bit difficult, isn't it? It's kind of like, it, if you really wanted to look, you could find it. Yeah, but I could just push it away. But obviously, what we don't speak about has got to come out somehow, which is why everything else came out. Yeah. But, um, you know, when I started this, when I get all these memories, and it would happen to me in my dream state at night, I'd wake up, i go, oh, what is going on? All these new information was coming to me of what took place. And I just really thought I was mad. I really thought I was I had lost it. And then I went back to therapy again and said, yeah, this is just now it's now's the right time. So your mind helps you at one point, but after a time you need to stop listening to your mind, you know, because it was now it was preventing me from living my life, you know, it was holding me back so much that I thought I need to for my children that I very nearly didn't have. I need to show them what it is to not just go through something, but also how to walk through it as well and how to live your best life. And 
Yeah, you know, we can, as you said, get through the most awful traumas. I can remember I used to have a podcast show, which I stopped a year ago, and mm. one particular woman who survived jumping off a bridge in Australia, she was a suicide attempt, like 100 metres she survived or something. She told me that hope stands for hold on, pain ends. And I just yeah. thought, oh, Isn't that I like amazing? that. Hold on, pain ends. Yeah, and now she's a mental health activist and speaks about, you know, um, mental health, suicide awareness, and putting practical steps to stop people from climbing up onto bridges and stuff. Yeah. Uh, she does a lot of great work, Donna. Uh, but yeah, I just thought that was good. And that um, something just always drove me to clean up. When I said that my memories returned, I was caught in denial. I, I didn't want to believe it. And if now I can go back, I don't like to have regrets. I would just say, you wasted three years of therapy. <laughs> just get out of the way of yourself by refusing to believe it. And I think it's somehow I thought it would be a reflection of me. You know, if people knew that they would look at me differently. But I realize now we're not what happens to us. So then I embarked on loads of therapeutic work, you know, therapeutic massage yeah. or um, hypnosis or sweat lodges, alternative stuff. And then I realized how much is in my body, you know, how obviously when we get triggered, it's not just our mind. It's so the body keeps scoring. Professor Daniel Cox says it's in Absolutely. Body. You know, why when I'm driving past flats where I happen to, I literally vomit in the car or, you know, it's, it's all linked, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, Peter Levine talks about it. He, he, he writes in the Awaken the Tiger and he talks about that idea that yes. it's in us, in our bodies and it starts to get, you know, and and it's sometimes like our minds aren't brilliant at like our minds are incredible, but they're not when it comes to trauma, like words aren't enough. You know, words are just yeah. part of the sort of healing journey. And the amount of energy, uh, the amount of kind of life force that gets turned in on in on in on itself in a way. I think with trauma yeah. is often it, it it does something to life force gets it's like a self-attack then almost. And our body is coming up with all these. Oh, absolutely. Self-sabotage. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, you know, suddenly your body is, you're vomiting in the car or filled with tension or you know, tightness or pain or whatever. And it's like. And actually now I understand that the triggers come back really when our mind believes we're ready to face it. It doesn't feel like it at the time, <laughs> you know, when you get trigger after trigger. But now, I mean, I used to think I'm healed now. That's fine. But occasionally recently, actually, I've had a couple of like, uh, um trauma burps i guess you could call them and they come up but now because of all the work i've done i'm just, i've got a lot of awareness i think okay um it's just another little bit of residue that's left in my body that had to come up and i just find a way which is my secret to ground myself as much as possible to realize that was just caught in my cells wherever and it just needed to be released and so i just allow it to just come up and do its job so what that takes a lot of you, a lot of practice. <laughs> yeah, no, but it sounds. I think there's something really important, and I'm just thinking of people listening, but certainly in ter terms of my own work as a therapist and and more being a human in general, that sense of having those moments to ground ourselves, to remind ourselves sometimes when these things happen, because for me sometimes I know in my own history, you know, I'd have experiences where it feels like I'm back somewhere again. You know, and absolutely. I was straight about this therapy work, and here I am again. Yes, and I'm thinking like, so I'll give you one example. One of my friends, Liz Cashin, an amazing woman. Um, she wrote a book called This Is Me. She had a horrific uh incident when she was at her high school. She was a sports day, and she threw a javelin, and it killed her best friend. Oh so she lived with huge trauma. Yeah. I know she doesn't really speak about her story anymore, but it is in her book. Yeah. So she was at a woman's empowerment event so she said would I come along and she's in England I'm in Scotland so we met halfway in York and it was an excuse to spend time with her as well 
And I knew we were going to do fire walking and walking on glass and breaking the arrow on my neck, which I've done all these things before. And then they went to put the arrow on my neck and it just turned into the knife which was held at my neck mm. and they all know I'm a public a professional speaker and I'm like oh my god what's happening and I was beginning to shake and cry and get upset and I think there's like hundreds of women here and I'm meant to be this you know survivor this courage cultivator whatever but then I just went okay this is not happening now this is just a reminder this is just triggering something and that's when I connect to my breath and just go right in and think it's, it's okay it's done it's just a uh, trauma book whatever you want to call it but in that moment I'm like why is this coming back now and I thought I'd done with all of this you know on the whole I have pretty much drained my swamp but there's always something that just pops up now and again I know and uh, I just there's something though about the being able to recognize what's happening you know being able to have that observer capacity don't let don't let myself dive into it but be really okay yeah this is i am getting triggered but that's okay yeah you know, because i think okay with whatever's happening it's that thing when we go into it fully we i i think with trauma sometimes is the adult has left the building you know and we're yeah, you, you get lost yeah we're lost to the to the sort of experience all over again so it's always that thing of saying okay where's my adult feet right now and yes can we kind of connect to them um it's it's so you you eventually went into ther- like went to therapy like after a number of years? I did because I really wanted to become a mum. And in my head, I had associated giving birth to being like raped again. I made this connection and I just thought, I can't bear the thought of men at my cervix or handling me in any way or being touched. I hated to be touched. I even didn't want to touch people because I thought I was so contaminated I could pass it on to other people. But then I thought, if I don't become a mum, they've won. You know, I am handing all of my own power and control to, over to them and they don't even have any idea. No, so they're living crazy. their lives oblivious to the... Yes, oblivious to what I'm doing because of them. So I kind of call it my best revenge that I was determined to become a mum. I went on to have three gorgeous girls. Yeah, So I did, I managed to do that, but the process was hard. I had to really get to a place where I was okay. So I, the first child my eldest daughter Anna I had in this amazing small unit in London which I had to pay for Um, my husband stayed with me we had a double bed it was was very low-key very low-tech we had water pools you know aromatherapy they gave you counseling baby massage Uh it was just it was heaven and when I moved to Scotland I had two upstairs in my bedroom (laughs) I had two home births so it was just and then it's great I had two national health midwives to myself you know for the few hours that they were here so it was um, perfect. Wow. But I was determined. And that's what I mean. There's, there's always been something driving me that you, you've got to push through this, push through this, push through this. I don't know where it's come from, whether it's just my ancestors behind me or I've always felt like I've had somebody at my back just driving me. So you you go into therapy, you do an awful lot of healing work because you wanted to be a mom and have a family yeah. and, and that. So then because you were saying in, in your TED 2014 is when you first spoke your 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 story publicly yes so that was- when i shared it on a website the forgiveness project website okay, that, yeah. that was it yes i, I mean yeah. yeah and 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 you because there was a forgiveness element to it as we were you know yes. saying. so yes. you that was the very first time you shared your story in 2000 I- yeah and they said to me you could be anonymous you don't need to put your photo or your name and i just thought no, I'm I'm tired of being ashamed. Why you, should I? At that Why point, should I be ashamed? Working as a therapist and raising your kids. I was still a therapist. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was still working. Wow, yeah. amazing! Such a it's, it just has such a 
again, it's that thing. I keep the courage cultivator keeps coming back. Like you speak in your story. But you know what? As I said, courage is contagious. So I didn't get my courage just from me alone. I have witnessed so many other men and women sharing their story and seeing the impact it has on an audience and realizing eventually, you know, I could I could speak. So they I'm just standing on the shoulders of many, many people, but it is a ripple effect. So I now know people that have gone on to tell their story. One woman has written her book because she her therapist recommended that she watch my TEDx and read my book. Very, very, very similar story, even down to the details of what took place. Mm. And she's written her book and had it published. And it's like, that's amazing. Isn't it? And now she will go on and inspire people. And, you know, so it's Mm. the ripple effect. And that's why I love storytelling. You know, the power that comes when we share stories is huge. I I think that's because in in your profile, you talk, you're using storytelling. Yes. And telling your own story. Yeah. And inspiring others to be able to have their voices to tell their stories yeah. and to keep telling our stories. Yes. We don't have to be silenced. We can keep telling our stories. Absolutely. I guess, you know, be careful who you tell your story to. Absolutely. You don't have to stand on a stage or go on the radio or the TV. But the very first time, I guess, make sure it's someone that you trust. Yeah. You know, whose ears is it going to land upon? Just be very careful. I think the first time. And I think also as well. If you can't find someone, a therapist, a friend, a hairdresser, then write it down. Mm. I think we just deny so much. I mean, minimize so much. And we say, oh, it wasn't really that bad. Yeah, but yeah, I should. I actually lost my life. It could have been bad, a lot you know? less, you know, or it could have been. That. It's like, oh, my God, the amount of times, you know, people know. in that chair right opposite me going, yes. listen, I'm making a big mountain out of it. And you're like, I'm going to stop here. And I know people that had it worse. And I go, well, they're not in the room right now. It's you that's in the room with me. It's so uh, That kind of thing. It says, you know, I, I'm not living in, you know, starving wherever. And I'm like, no, but you're feeling like crap. So how are we going to work this? Yeah, I know. So I think it's just, I mean, I think that minimization is part of the denial. Because if we Absolutely. really put our foot in it, we'd have to wake up to what took place. And it's painful to look back and, and see what was done and yeah. our part in it or whatever, or, you know, just how we hold ourselves back. That's painful as well. I know reading Irvin Yalam, and he, he writes about one of his stories and loves execution or anything, but he talks about the healing process, you know, <laughs> like somebody's going through like panic attacks and dreadful anxiety as they begin to tell their story, because it isn't just the thing, I'll tell my story and that's it, I'm fine now. It's a deep, deep healing painful process that we avoid and minimize we 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 want to not have to well maybe to start with but after a while really honestly say it doesn't impact on me telling my story yeah no i I was going to say that i mean i think that's the starting process but the heat the healing of therapy or the healing process is that you as you've said really eloquently is that you can stand on stage now it doesn't traumatize you it's it's yeah, and I also feel like I speak a little bit about it in the second TEDx is like, if I feed my shame, I hide in the dark, then, you know, I'm helping it thrive. But if I stand there and I'm standing in my shame, it, it can't win. You know, it can't win if I've got an audience or spotlights. That breeds compassion for myself and then for themselves as well. You know, Marina, who is the founder of the Forgiveness Project, she doesn't call us storytellers, she calls us story healers. Yeah. And I think that just really sums it up. That's amazing. It's an amazing thing that there's something in it. I, I, I'm, my, I'm, I'm having a moment where I'm having kind of the external world coming into my head. But it's something about the, there are lots of people who don't want us to tell our stories. 
Yes. Because, you know, telling our stories means we have to look, we have to have an honest look at our lives, ourselves, and everything else in it. Society has to look. And yeah. there's plenty of, there, there are people out there who would prefer we don't tell our stories. Yeah, I'm okay with making people feel uncomfortable. I think they should be uncomfortable yeah. because this is something that takes place every single day somewhere on our planet to a man, a woman, a Absolutely. child. Absolutely, right across so the globe. yeah. You shouldn't shy away from all that's horrible. I mean, it's, I have to try to find a way to balance the good and the bad. You know, I have to try and hold both. It's a bit of a predicament for me, I guess, you know, because if we really focused all our attention on the bad, that's all we'd see. But on top of all the bad, right now I can go into my garden, I can look at the beautiful bright red aces that are growing at the end and there's real beauty there. So it's it's how do we hold both? You yeah. know, there's always going to be that. And, and where do we put our attention? And right now, I can get sucked into what's going on in in various countries, and you know, it's, and I think we get caught up in all of that pain and and, yeah. and trauma, and then we. But I have to be able to hold both. Yeah, it's it's like you know when people talk to me and they'll say stuff like, "I feel," uh, what is it? I, like I shouldn't be complaining, or I I shouldn't be this, and I shouldn't be that, and shouldn't, and then I shouldn't he, couldn't he, wouldn't he? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah couldn't he, wouldn't he? Shouldn't he? And then it's like. And then it's like, well, all the stuff happening, and I, 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 and then it's this other thing is like, I, I, I shouldn't, ha I shouldn't be happy, you know, I shouldn't find myself smiling, I should be kind of, and it's like, yeah. you know, and there's some holding the two places, isn't there? Yeah, and especially I think if somebody's grieving, you know, they have moments of happiness, they feel mm -hmm. guilty, and you think, I'm sure the person that's passed would want you to carry on mm -hmm. and live your life. You know, it's a process. You can't be in grief, thankfully, 100% of the time. You can have moments of joy and hopefully they will increase, but there'll always be the grief there as well. Yeah, Everyone I remember that feeling quite strongly when my dad passed. I remember thinking for a while afterwards, it was like, why isn't everyone grieving? <laughs> why wasn't it on the news when my dad yeah, died? Yeah, why, have, why are people going to work right now? We should all be exactly stopping. people walk past me and look perfectly normal and happy. My dad's just died. Yeah. You know, exactly <laughs> the same. like that. And then, you know, then it changes and then you find yourself laughing about something and then you kind of go, oh, Jesus, my dad's died. I shouldn't be laughing. And then bit by bit by bit, you kind of find ways where the grief is more containable and it is still there and it still comes up in its own way. But it's yeah, I mean, they say time's a healer, but it's not really time. I think you grow used to it. So my dad, I don't know, my dad's passed 25 years now. So now I can look back and just be really grateful that he was my dad. Yeah. You know, really pleased yeah. that I had him as a dad because he was teeny weeny, but he was a giant. He yeah. was a huge giant. And I, I guess he was my greatest teacher in life as well. That He really showed me because of what he experienced. But he was a Holocaust survivor. So He, he was. He so his... his parents um two brothers two sisters his youngest brother was just six they all died in Auschwitz mm -hmm. they all uh, were gassed and just... he came to the UK met my mum had five kids lived his life and he laughed a lot mm -hmm. and I couldn't understand why he laughed and now I see it really was his strength mm -hmm. to be able to you know I used to think if he can get past that surely I can get past one night that must be a far bigger trauma because you know he's never going to get his family back um and so that helped me, but also just the way he approached life, not what he said, but how he approached life. I just thought, yeah, we all have the capacity to choose how we respond to anything. It's not really about what happens. It's what we do with it. And there is a, a, another a famous um, great psychotherapist called Dr. Edith Eager. I don't yeah, know if yeah I just book. saw her book. I was literally on a book. I nearly bought her book. Uh, of my, my colleague. The Gift and the Choice, the who's choice. also a Holocaust. She's survivor, and she's in her 90s and she still works I think bless her she and again she's 
Jude speaks a lot about forgiveness, but again, it's how we respond to whatever happens to us. It, you know, it, that's there's another hero of mine, Vaco, um, not Vaco Tavel, um, Frank Victor Frankel, who talks about man yeah. search for meaning, and he, about that mm-hmm. idea that people survive when we can find meaning and reasons for yeah. our life and purpose. Absolutely. And Absolutely. It, it, it sounds to me in terms of the work you do is in cultivating courage and speaking your story. It is, isn't it, providing that meaning? It's a meaning. There's a yeah, I, just, I refuse to be identified by what had happened. Yes, yeah. that one night overshadowed my life for years but I'm not that one night I'm not that one event and none of us are the events in our life it makes us up yes you know but we're 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 a combination of many many different things not just that one big trauma in our life but but there's something isn't there about what you did with that trauma through lots of healing work and therapy is that you now can talk and it you might talk about the story but that's only a small part of it, isn't it? The journey, the healing, the, the different yeah. things. I, I didn't know, but I really do believe I have, and I've met loads of other people have it too, as post-traumatic, um, post-traumatic growth. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I really believe now because my podcast, which I stopped, was called Unbroken Healing Through Storytelling. And I want, it was in lockdown I started it because yeah. all my speaking work disappeared and I stopped working as a therapist. So it was really bad timing. <laughs> um, and I spoke to people that had been through awful adversities. Yeah, they'd had horrible times, but they'd all not just bounced back, they'd bounced forward. Yeah. And they all had post-traumatic growth. You know, they all were doing incredible. And I just wanted to, you know, share stories of hope and positivity. And yeah, and they convinced me of what I already know that we can really grow through what we go through you know you mm. really can grow through it and yeah change your life so in a weird way I wouldn't undo what happened to me now because mm. then I think what would I be would I just be asleep well I know what would I what would I be I don't know it really did something it really woke me up to possibilities and like I've met incredible people and been on this amazing journey since but um so, and that might might be hard for someone that's listening and they're really caught in their trauma now saying, what does she mean? She wouldn't undo it. But it's it's shown me how much strength I have inside of me. So I know everybody has that strength and that resilience. We just need to, sometimes I think you need to really be in the dark to find the light. Yeah. You know? It's a very powerful things you're saying. And I mean, they're resonating on lots of different levels. Um, and I suppose I can I can relate to the person who's in the darkness saying, how can you how how can I, you know, how can, but but in a way, what what you're saying is something is that I'm grateful for everything that's happened to me because who I am now. That is absolutely those things made, it's made me what you did, that what you yeah. did with all the things has allowed you to get to a point in your life where you can look back and go. I am here because of everything that's happened to me and I'm really... Yeah, it didn't break me. You know, I am still here and, and I wouldn't wish it on anyone even though I'm not great. And, and that's, the, that's the contradiction, isn't it? It's not something I would ever wish on anyone ever. But yeah, I am the person here I am today and so I'm grateful for everything that's happened to me. Doesn't mean I, yeah. wish, it, I wish it didn't happen to me, but you know, it's, yeah. it's, that, it's a complicated kind of... It is. And also, I don't know who I'd be if it didn't happen. Yeah, I don't, it's an impossibility. Yeah. I, I, and again, I can, again, it's resonating a lot. Um, there's something about the it, it's because what you've done and what people what I think we all in a way need to strive well I hate being kind of polemic or something like that we should all do this we should all do that but there's something about when something awful happens to us if if it's left in the shadows 
and left in the darkness. It's filled with shame and pus, and it just it and it can kill us, you know. That it can implode. It can yeah. implode. It can kill us. It can and and I, it breaks my heart that there are people who aren't in the world today because shame. Yes. Shame won, and the more yeah. we can shine a light on it and tell our stories. And, yeah. and it's our story of your life, not just of what happened, but your your life yeah. and the journey you've been on. That that fosters something else. That's that H O P E. Uh, yes, and, and I've nothing to be ashamed about. No. You know, I used to think it was the drink, the clothes, the lying. It it came down to the simple fact that these two men decided to rape me, and, and that was it. Nothing else. One hundred percent of all rapes are caused by rapists, and it's as simple as that. One, That's it. we have if if nothing else that we can stand up and say, the people who abuse other people, they're the people who are fault. Absolutely. I mean, we can come up with all manner of reasons what they had this done to them, and that's fine, but they make a decision at a certain point yeah. in their lives. They are now responsible. That took me years and years to work out, you know, it took me a long time, and it seems so simple, but until you really absorb it and take that on board, I don't think much will shift. And no, so I, if you I, carry all that self-blame and self-hate and self-worth <laughs> and lack of confidence, which I did for years, and, yeah, just the guilt and the shame and all of it. Yeah. Um, it really is self-destructive and shame just disables us it paralyzes us and it's this thing you know i think of shame it's like you're lying there it's lying there in the darkness kind of filled with that dread of like what have i done yes you know mm. that and and again shining a light facing it up speaking standing up it's like mm. you know you started writing so you started your first piece that you wrote publicly was the forgiveness project Yep. And then it developed out of that and you started. Yeah, then I, um, somebody, I used to uh, work with a shaman actually who's recently passed away for about 20 years or so, a man named Imaho, and he encouraged me to write my story down. And it literally took me four years to write 12 pages. And I would stop and start and I think, oh, I'm writing that. And it all, it would just bring up all the shame. And I just thought, can't let him read it you know I really respect him he'll look at me differently he'll kick me out of the group he won't want me back and then eventually I've gone to see somebody from the forgiveness project she was speaking in Glasgow an amazing woman called Marion Partington who wrote a book called if you sit very still her sister Lucy was murdered by Rose and Fred West oh, wow. and when I heard Marion speak she just emanated this piece and she, her story was one of forgiveness. She used to go into prisons and share her story. And I bought her book that night. And inside she wrote, now you must speak. And I just thought, oh, I think maybe I could. And as soon as I had that thought, I, I always say I kind of vomited my book. Because when I, Imaho asked me to write these my story down, the one night I wrote the 12 pages, I, my, I was like automatic writing. My fingers just flowed. And when I, when Marion had written this inside my book from her, it was the same. I just would sit at my Mac in my little office here and I would see the chapter headings at night. And in about eight weeks, I had written 70,000 words. It just literally poured out of me, out of my fingertips. Um, so it, I always feel like... Unbroken is available now to buy. I could buy Unbroken. Could I? It's available. You can, yes. Amazon or any anywhere. Yeah, any, I mean, any good bookshop. Back title now, but uh, yeah, yes. But it's on it. About years old now but yeah oh, and right. italian if you if you speak italian and audio if you like audio books it's on audible and you, so. is it your do you do the audio did you well no they had a bit of discussion they didn't want me to do the whole thing and actually i was really peeved off and i thought 
okay so I did the an intro yeah and then I thought because you know we had great discussions about putting in all the details and in terms um, of what when, happened as in the specific in terms of what happened specifically so when Imaho asked me to write my story he said write everything down yeah. all the details and that's what I struggled with for four years and then eventually he asked to use my story at one of his workshops as a teaching. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's one thing you speaking about reading it. But I can't let everyone else read it. And then I thought, you know, I really trust this man. He's helped me so much. And I allowed it. And then, you know, people started sharing their stories. And that's when I saw the power of storytelling. So mm. when I had written my book, my friend Joe was my editor, who I knew from the workshops. And he, I said, I'm not putting all those details in. I'm just telling you now. He said, oh, no, no, you you really have to. I said, I can't. I'm, I'm too ashamed. All these levels of shame all the time, always working me. And he said, no, as a man, he said, it's really important. I just thought a woman would be, you know, over overpowered. And that was it. But he didn't realise the level of degradation or um, just, you know, humiliation, all the, the things that they did. So he he did a number on me and he worked me and I thought, you know, he's right. If I'm going to tell my story, I need to tell my story because I'm sure many people will resonate with. And then I got to my publishers. I was lucky I got a contract just a few months later after trying, which I believe is quite unusual. It, I was very lucky. And they said, well, we're not sure if we should put those details in. I said, well, then I, I won't publish it because um, why should I brush it under the carpet just to make it easier for people to digest? This is what happened to me. So they decided to put a, a trigger warning on that chapter, which is called All of One Night, which I don't really believe in, because I think if you pick up a, a memoir of someone that's been gang raped, you know that it's not going to be nice. Comp- you you kind of know it's not, you know, that. Yeah, it's not going to be, you know, unicorns and rainbows the whole way. It's going to be have something in it. And uh, I think I didn't get a trigger warning at 13, but I, I agreed. And so that chapter then comes with uh, a warning. If you read into this chapter, it does include all the details of what took place. Um, but actually, most people say they feel like they want to read it mm-hmm. to honour my 13-year-old self, Absolutely. or they feel that they want to read it for themselves if they've had similar experience and something powerful to see it written down in black and white and so when I, I was wanted to do the audio I thought actually I don't know if I could have read those chapters out I think I would have struggled myself yeah. in lockdown I did listen to it and actually it was okay it was almost as if it was somebody else mm. my poor little dog was getting hacked off because he was walking around the streets with me listening to this audiobook for hours on end but um it was okay I actually I could listen to it which I didn't think I could mm. it's funny when you, you you said something there uh I quite sure what happened to me but I had a surge of anger it was um you said your your 13 year old self didn't get a trigger warning and I think I just I, I was filled with something there uh, akin to I'm not quite sure but a uh, kind of maybe an empathy or something or, or, or a horror for what a 13 yeah, it's, it's interesting male response sometimes mm. you know I get men saying oh if you were my daughter they wouldn't be alive today and I think well, that makes you just as bad as them <laughs> but a lot of normal responses to, for them to get very angry and to apologize on all behalf of all mankind you know I get that quite a lot you know I'm really sorry that, that men did this to you and blah 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 and I'm not that kind of man I think well if you're reading it I clearly you wouldn't be but um yeah it's interesting the responses and and I think people respond from where they're at yeah. you know where they are in, in their own perception don't they it's just that thing isn't it of you know I suppose I'm not you know, as a therapist, I've had my own journey to this point. Mm-hmm. So I can relate to quite a lot of what you're saying. And it does bring up those things in me, those 
maybe it connects me to my own 13 year old self or 12 year old self or whatever um different ages of different life events and yeah so there's something i think it's that's what i'm realizing there can be anger and hurt and you described it in terms of your you know you you know not necessarily going into specifics but what it did the, the 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 humiliation and the degradation on the one hand and then on the other hand we've got this kind of story of hope and healing and possibility and love and it it, it you know it, it it feels like that those two things have coexisted in your life and yes. the, the the this hand scene is much stronger now the the, the love hand and the absolutely you know, because love is always going to win over hate isn't yeah. it I, mean, I, I always feel i'm very lucky when i met my husband nearly 40 years ago yeah. well actually 40 years ago now which is makes me feel quite old um you know, I was really uh, in a place of self-loathing, self-hate, no confidence, no self-worth. And I was traveling in the Middle East. I, I met a Scotsman and then we came back to the UK and he still wanted to see me. I'm like, but, but why would you really want to see me? I couldn't understand it. And I think he just loved me unconditionally. He obviously could see something that I couldn't see at the time. And that's when I think love will always win. Always win over hate. It's far stronger. Everything going on in the world, I think we, we need love. That's all we really need is the the, the best uh, cure I, my, for everything. I mentioned him. I always seem to mention this Carl Rogers whenever I talk to in, in podcasts. I, I just can't help myself. But he talks about the the organism itself, the true self, and and that our deepest core is love. Like, and that yes. if we are given unconditional love as children you know young young kids if we're just love for who we are and whatever that is our anger our rage our sadness everything we'll just become who we're meant to be in the world and then when awful things happen it suddenly sets a whole condition on who we should be and we suddenly think i'm not lovable i'm not this i'm not that yeah. i need to silence myself i need to shut myself down i need to hide because you know and in a way what your husband was loving you unconditionally was an invitation to to the to I think he was an angel really sent to save me because I was on such a path of self-destruction. I don't think I would be here. The drug intake was getting higher and yeah. more riskier. And all the, just the dangerous patterns that I was taking. And those were the very, they, they, these were just early years, weren't they? After the, the rape. Yeah, I was 17. Yeah, it wasn't that long afterwards. So, uh, yeah, life has a weird way of working. <laughs> it really does. And it's what you said there about the essence. That's when I came to realise I'm not what happened to me. I realized that the true essence of me could never be touched by what they did. No. It could never touch that fire in my belly, which just really, it, the flame went out for years. And I think that's what it's about, it's relighting your fire yeah. inside and touching that essence again and allowing the real authentic whatever self yeah. to come through. That sounds cheesy. But that's why I always thought, actually, they can't touch that me that I was born with, that real essence They've never touched that. I hid it underneath all my trauma and it was covered up for years. But I think to me, that's what trauma is about, is just peeling back the layers and the layers and the layers. The therapy is about just getting getting rid of all the veils and the layers and, and getting to unearthing the, you. Yeah, getting to the authentic you, getting to this, like that when you talk about post-traumatic growth. Growth, yes. No, this is growth and it's just, oh, do you know, I could talk to you for hours oh same <laughs> really good I've, I've been i've been kind of uh, yeah I, i've just been so kind of well i've been moved and inspired and all manner of things you know and i'm i'm conscious that i haven't i haven't asked you to go into the depths of the the trauma not not because i'm afraid to hear it or anything i, I just didn't 
it's funny the way a conversation brings us. It's kind of yeah. it 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 sort of looks at something, but it's looking. I'm I'm sort of kind of I'm 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 caught by the growth piece. You know, I'm fascinated yeah. by the journey that you've been on, and it it it's one that offers it cultivates courage for anyone who will take the chance to listen. And I I imagine people who'll be listening to this will certainly be impacted possibly like me or in different ways, but it's, it, it, it's with hope and possibility. Like. Absolutely. There's always hope and there's always possibilities and it's never too late to share your story. Never. It's amazing. It's wonderful, isn't it? Just let's keep telling our stories and let's not be silenced. No, because silence really, it holds us back and it protects the perpetrators. Always. That's the point, isn't it? It, it protects the yeah. perpetrators and, um, we don't want to do that. <laughs> no, no, we don't because it. We, no, we don't want to do that at all. Um, and I think it, so. This the idea that we 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 tell our stories and we don't have to censor ourselves. Yeah, you know we can have our voices. Um, and we talked about before we uh before we press record. Just like in the present climate, uh, it's because of people's stories that certain big Hollywood producers are in prison right now. Absolutely. We mentioned Harvey Weinstein because yeah. when the women first went to the police, they weren't believed. And then they were blacklisted from working in studios. Like they, 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 were, they weren't getting work. They were being... No. And it was only the two reporters that worked for the New York Times that came out. The film is based on She Said, She Said. Um, I can't remember their names. Jody, someone or other, the two reporters. Yeah. But when they put the story out in the New York Times, then they were taken seriously. And then more women started to get brave, find their courage, because someone else shared their story. And then before they knew it, hundreds of victims from this vile man, who is now where he should be, behind bars, and will probably die in prison. Yeah, it, it's... And being prosecuted in different countries. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, that's when the sort of the establishment, and you've got the establishment that wants to keep everything in order. And we've seen it in our own country. You know, we've had it where be it the church or whoever it was was trying to manage and keep everything. And people started to dare come out and tell their story, yeah. tell their story. And more and more people started to tell their story that these organizations, these um, whatever you want to call them, couldn't control the stories anymore. Yeah. And the power of storytelling and people telling yeah. the truth just it it's sort of knocked the institutions to their core. Absolutely. The more and more of us speak out, the better, because then we become a choir, an orchestra. Yeah. There's so many of us that you can't of, not listen. A choir of truth tellers, you know. Absolutely. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, it's been absolutely fabulous chatting to you. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, it's been great. Um, I, I hope lots of people get to listen to this because... Uh, do you know, do you know what it is? I feel like from the moment you started to, you know, I always get a bit nervous before. Yeah, I'm anxiety. I'm good at anxiety, do you know? And uh -huh. it's just, it's been this ease of conversation and this sense of, there's a calmness. There's a gentle calmness. I can't explain it that comes across the, the Zoom ways. Um, that I, I, I just feel I could just keep chatting. Um, oh, great. And I know it's, you know, I don't um, underplay how hard it is for a guy to speak about this topic as well. And I think that maybe adds to the nerves. Oh, it's about rape and this, that and the other. I, I realise that as well. It's not an easy topic to talk about, but it's one that should be spoken well, about. It, it's not an easy topic to talk about, but I think it's really important that we talk about it. And it's really yeah. important for me as a man. 
me as a human being, but as a man, to know that, you know, there are people in the world, men, who do unthinkable acts. And I know that women do as well, but the fact that when we statistically look at it, you know, absolutely, if you look at 98% male, yeah, again, well, that's just that's the reality. And the only way we can, you know, like shine a light on the shame of it is to talk about it and to talk about how it impacts us as men, as um, and to have conversations about it and to, yeah, like so, you, you know, but I, I just, I think what I'm realizing was there was a sort of, this sort of can, can, what the word I'm looking for there's a there's a sort of a, a sense of and maybe it is the sense that you've done so much work and been involved in so much work that you're at a place of kind of a sort of peaceful acceptance of who you are in the world yeah, absolutely it is you know I couldn't speak about it if I wasn't okay it's very easy for me to speak about it it doesn't like I said impact on me I won't now go away and be traumatized by our conversation it's no. really it almost feels like it's my duty now because I can speak about it. Then I then I should. I know we shouldn't say the word should, but I feel like. But I understand it's it's, it's serve other people. That's now my purpose. I can turn my my pain into purpose, and that's what I'll do now. I won't stop speaking out until I no longer have any breath left in my body. I will always speak out for those who really can't find their voice. Because that will allow us. That the more somebody speaks out for us, it yeah. can offer courage. Sometimes, certainly for me, anyways, yeah. that I I remember being at a thing and. It was somebody who was speaking and I just remember going up to them and saying, thank you. Yeah. You've given me a voice. Like, yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And that's why we do it. And that's why I have this podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> Good. I started in lockdown as well. I remember it was. Oh, there you go. Well, oh, you carried on now. You're better than I, me. <laughs> I am carrying on, but I mean, I'm not very, I'm, I get into trouble because people say, when's the next episode? Soon. Okay. Well, I left 123 episodes. That's brilliant. That's amazing. So, how many, yeah. so did you do it in seasons, or did you just have it? No, I just did it every week, and then I would interview people, and I'd have a bank load, so I had maybe like ten waiting to get published. I had a producer, so I was a bit. Oh, you see, that's brilliant. I have no. I, I'm afraid it's just me, and then I'm. No, and he was out. a DJ for a radio station in London, so he did all my jingles and he did all my intros and out. It was very mm. slick. So yeah, I didn't want to learn the technology at all. I just wanted to talk to people. <laughs> I know. I'm well. Yeah, if anyone would like to produce this for free, please join me. <laughs> we can make it wasn't it <laughs> but look, uh, Madeline, is, Madeline, it's been brilliant. Um, thank you so much for being a guest. Uh, um, really have enjoyed our conversation. The last hour has just flown by. Um, too quick. Huh? Too quick, yeah. Um, yeah, and just thank you so much. And uh, I suppose to thank everyone who's listening. Uh, I hope you enjoy this as much as I've enjoyed having the conversation. So... And to everyone else, I'll talk to you all next time. Goodbye. Okay,